of a series called Greater Than, and we're talking about how do we have that greater than kind of life. And Doug kicked it off. He did an incredible job in week one and talked about that it has to start with a relationship with Jesus. For us to become greater than, it said Jesus has to become greater in our lives, and we need to become Less. It's not about us doing a bunch of things to earn a relationship with Jesus. It's because of who Jesus is and what he's done that we can have that relationship. And as a result of that, when we have that relationship, when Jesus is becoming greater and we're becoming less in our lives, then the Bible has a bunch of other things that it says that we can do to have a great life. And so last week we talked about what it means to put God's will, God's plans, God's ways for our lives, that those are greater than our will, than our plans and our ways for our life. Because what it really comes down to is a place of trusting God. Trusting that he has the best interest for us. Trusting that he is there by our side, that he cares for us. I want to thank the people who emailed me pictures of their cats last week. Um, that, was, uh, that was fantastic. I wanted you to know a couple things. One, you didn't convince me. Uh, and the second is I'm praying for your salvation. And so um, I'm just kidding mostly. And so, uh, but today, today we're going to take a look at, a, at another set of passages that really show us what God's view, God's definition of what it means to have a great life is. Now, a few weeks ago, Ty and I were in Atlanta. He was playing a baseball tournament uh, down in Atlanta, and, and it was over the course of a weekend that we were there. And so we decided he had an afternoon game on the Sunday. So we said, let's go to church in the morning, and then we'll go to your game afterwards. And so we went, and, and I heard Andy Stanley share this story and he was talking about a few years ago that he was sitting at, a, at an intersection. If you've ever been in Atlanta, if you've ever driven in the traffic and the chaos of Atlanta, you know how crazy and how dangerous it is. And, and some of their intersections are huge. It's like 18 lanes this way and 18 this way. and eight, I mean, it's just, it's massive amounts of traffic that are going through. And, and so he was sitting at a light and he was stopped and he was looking across the intersection and he noticed, he noticed a car that was also stopped there and it had some white smoke that was coming out from underneath it. But there was a little bit of a breeze, and so it was kind of blowing the smoke away. And the driver, she was kind of leaning forward on her steering wheel, and she was looking up at the stoplights. She was waiting for the light to change, and she had no idea that there was anything going on with her car. Well, a few seconds later, all of a sudden, he realized that there were flames licking out of the grill of her car. And he realized it had gotten a lot more serious than it was just a couple seconds before that. That white smoke turned to black smoke. But again, it was blowing away and she was so intensely looking at those lights and waiting that she had no idea what was happening. Well, before he could be the hero, he realized he saw a guy who was sprinting across the 48 lanes of traffic this way and the 48 that way, and he was running towards her car. And you can imagine what, what happened next, right? As she's sitting there intently looking at the stoplight, waiting for it to change, and in her peripheral vision, she sees this man charging at the side of her car. And so she did what any of us would have done. She panicked and reached over and made sure that the car door was locked, and then she stepped on the gas. And so the car jumped ahead about three feet and then it came to an abrupt stop and then the black smoke that was on the outside began pouring through her dashboard on the inside of the car. And all of a sudden, this threatening carjacker that was running at her car, all of a sudden, very quickly in, the, in a moment, in an instant, turned into a, a wanted savior who was coming to help her. And so she got the car unlocked and he reached in and opened the door and got her out and was able to escort her far enough away from the car to safety before it burst into flames and literally burnt out in the middle of that intersection. 
Well, he said that he, uh, he heard a, a little while later that uh, she had found the contact information for her rescuer, for this man, and she contacted him, and they went to dinner because she wanted to thank him. It led to a, a couple of more dinners. It led to a proposal, and then it led to a wedding. And that's how Laura and I met. And... <laughs> I, I did not know that was going to happen. Um, <laughs> it was a true story until that last line, I promise, at that point. It's just a pastor thing. We like to embellish and make it all about us. But, uh, but it, it, really was, it really was true. And it is, I mean, it's an incredible story, isn't it? I mean, when you go to a party, right? I mean, that's, that's like the trump card of all stories. So tell us how you met. <laughs> He's like, you should go first. Because once you hear my story, right, there's no burning car, carried her to safety, got married, right? You're not going to want to share your story. And so uh, it's an amazing story. See, one of the clearest commandments in the Bible for us to have a great life is that we need to come at a perspective and understand a, perce- a perspective that we need to put others before ourselves. Now, there's some good news and there's some bad news when it comes to putting others before ourselves. The good news is this, is that when we put others first, it actually strengthens our heart. Mother Teresa said this, give your hands to serve and give your hearts to love. When we give our hands to serve, when we meet the needs of somebody around us, it increases the strength of our heart, doesn't it? Because it causes us to love people more. It causes us to grow in compassion. You don't need money to help others. You just need a heart to help others, right? It's it's an incredible thing. But the bad news is this, is that putting the needs of other people before your own, it's not a natural reaction. And in fact, it has to be a, a choice. We don't have a natural desire within ourselves to put the needs of other people before our own needs. And this goes all the way back to Adam and Eve in the garden. And when they sinned that very first time, everything shifted and the focus shifted away from God and it shifted away from each other and it shifted to me. And now it's all about my needs and my wants, my preferences, my pleasures, my accomplishments. And so it's forced us to now to have to choose to put others first. But here's some more good news. Is that when we choose to put the needs of other people before our own, it actually leads to greatness. I want you to see today how Jesus defines greatness. And today, each one of us is going to have to make a choice. And I know you may be sitting here already going, okay, we talk a lot about serving here in this church. We do. But the reason that we talk about it is because Most of us still aren't living it. And even those of us that are, we're not living it to the fullest capacity that we could. And today we're going to make a decision. Each one of us is going to have to decide, if I want to be great, then I need to know what Jesus' definition of greatness is. And I need to know what it looks like in my life. If you have your Bible, I'd love for you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. And if you don't, that's okay. You can follow along on the side screens or you can uh, download our app as well where we have uh, notes in there and you can also take the uh, greater than poll question for today. Uh, But here, let me just kind of set up what's happening. Jesus knows that there's a natural desire within us to be great. I shared this last week. I've never met anyone who's woken up in the morning and, and is average, who's just said, I'm so glad that I'm average, right? I'm so glad that I have an average marriage. I've got a bumper sticker on the back of my car that said, my kid goes to so-and-so middle school and they're just average, right? And I'm going to go to my average job today and do an average amount of work, right? Like nobody ever says that. Some of us live that way. But nobody ever wakes up in the morning wanting that. God knew that inside each of us, there is a desire for greatness. 
In Matthew chapter 20, beginning at verse 17, it says this. Now Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. And on the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and to the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down, asked him a favor. Now here's Jesus, right? And he's walking on his way to Jerusalem. He's hanging out with his 12 disciples, his 12 closest friends. And I don't know, maybe they stopped at the Jerusalem 7-Eleven and got a Slurpee or something, right? And they're sitting down and they're, they're having a conversation. And Jesus says, hey guys, I need you to know what's about to happen, right? We're going to go to Jerusalem and, and some stuff's about to go down. In fact, when we get there, there's going to be these religious leaders and, and, and understand they're not really happy with me because I'm the son of God and they don't believe that I'm a, the son of God and so some stuff's going to happen and I'm going to end up in, in, in prison and there's going to be some trials and I'm going to get beaten and I'm going to end up hanging on a cross. But three days later, Three days later, I'm, I'm not going to stay dead, right? There's going to be a resurrection. I'm going to come back to life. And then all of a sudden at that time, this mom comes into the conversation and she kneels down in front of Jesus. And in verse 21, this is what she says. What is it you want, Jesus asked. And she said, grant that one of these, or one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right hand and the other at your left in your kingdom. This mom shows up. And she asks a, a very mom-like question, right? I, I don't know if your mom is like this. I, I've seen these moms before at football and, and hockey and, and baseball games, right? Maybe if you've seen the American Idol before, you, you've seen these kind of moms, right? They look out after their kids. You remember when that show was on? I only watched it for the first like two or three weeks because that was the best part of the show when they would have the people that would come on and they would audition and they would try to sing and, and inevitably there would be a handful of people on there who just couldn't sing. It was terrible music, great television, but, but terrible music. And, and inevitably they would say something to them like, why did you come here? Why did you think that you were able to sing? Who told you that you were good? My mom, right? My mom told me that I'm incredible. I sing around the house all the time. My mom said that I'm amazing. And inevitably they would be kicked off the show and, and rejected and they would be devastated and they would, they would leave the room and they would tell their mom. And then mom would go berserk, right? Mom would go nuts and she would try to get to Simon and then she would be in front of that TV camera letting the whole world know that the greatest mistake ever has been made. They'd write a letter to the president of the United States. I mean, she would do it all because this mom was so caring about her kids. And this mom's the same way. She's a good Jewish mom. And she thought, if you guys aren't gonna promote yourselves, then I'm gonna step in and, and I'm gonna do it. And so she confronts Jesus and she says, Jesus, I want my boys to be great. And so when you get to heaven, I, I believe you. I believe in who you are and, and, and I, I'm not sure exactly how things are going to work out. But, but when you get to heaven, you're going to be sitting in, in the most important seat. And I have a request for you. Can James and John, can one of them be on your right and one of them on your left in the two, the next two greatest seats that are there? Verse 24 says this, when the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. I love this, right? Uh, here, here's the other ten disciples. When they hear what's going down, when, when mom steps in and, and makes this request, 
right? They're furious. They lose it. And, and I think this is very funny because these are supposed to be spiritual guys, right? They've been hanging around Jesus for about three years. They have gone everywhere that Jesus has gone. They've heard everything that Jesus has taught. They have watched everything that Jesus has done. But now they're ticked. And, and, and I think, I, this is just my guess, but maybe this is where the first your mama joke comes out, right? Like Peter or, or Andrew, right, looks at their mom and they start making these jokes back and forth. But, but the amazing part is if you look back at just a few chapters before this story and you read it in the context, the, the whole group of disciples had all been arguing about which one of them was the greatest. I think these guys are just jealous because they didn't think about bringing their mom along with them, right, to, to fight for them on their behalf. Look what happens in verse 25. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, and if you have your Bible, you may want to underline or, or circle that word, among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave. See, Jesus changes the rules. In almost every culture, the places that we work in our culture, if you're on top, then all of the power goes to you. But Jesus says, guys, that's not how it's going to be for us. We're going to live things out a little bit differently. In fact, we're going to take that and we're going to flip that upside down. If you want to be great, you need to become last. If you want to be great, you need to serve others and put the needs of them in front of your own. That's what greatness is. And Jesus goes on to explain his purpose in verse 28. He said, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Then Jesus and and the 12 disciples, they, they leave 7-Eleven and they begin to make their way back to Jerusalem. And here's what it says in verse 29. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside. And when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And the crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped, and he called them. He said, what do, you, what do you want for me to do? He asked. Lord, they answered, we, we want our sight. And Jesus had compassion on them, and he touched their eyes, and immediately they received their sight and followed him. There's Jesus, walking with his 12 friends, He's just changed the rules of everything, right? And he's told them what's about to happen to him. And then he gives them this new definition of greatness for their lives. The Bible tells us that, that wherever Jesus goes, there's a crowd of people that are gathered around him. Maybe they don't all believe in what Jesus is saying, but they want to hear, they want to see. There's something about Jesus. Even people who aren't like Jesus liked Jesus. And in that crowd... As they pass by, there's two blind men. And they hear that Jesus is coming and they've heard of what Jesus has done. And they call out to him. And it says that the crowd, as they're walking by, they're telling them, just be quiet. Stop, stop. Don't bother him, right? Don't bother him with your needs. Just let him, let him be. 
But look at what Jesus does. He, he puts into practice the things that he had just said to his followers. I mean, Jesus is the biggest thing around. But he's not too big. He's not too busy to recognize that somebody needs him. And he stops and he goes over and he heals them. This is so important for us to understand, right? So important for us to catch. Here's this mom who wants her sons to be great. The, the disciples, they're offended by this, by this whole, this whole conversation of greatness. Jesus redefines what greatness is as serving other people. And then he says, I, I came not to be served, but I came to serve. I came to die in your place so that you can live forever. Me, perfection, so that your sin and your shame could be taken away and you could experience that perfection my life for your forgiveness. And Jesus models what he has been talking about for these guys. And with that as the backdrop, I, I want to show you what it looks like to serve others, what it means to be a servant, what this kind of life looks like in a practical way. You see, the word servant, it's mentioned hundreds of times in the Bible. And in the New Testament, it's, it's mentioned a, a lot. There's actually seven different Greek words in the New Testament for our one word for servant. Very much like our one word for love. In the, in the Greek, there are several words with different definitions and different levels and descriptions of love. The same is true for the word servant. I'm not going to give you all seven, but I do want to look at three today. Here's the first one. The first is, is the word doulos. And, and what it means is a, a bond servant. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus said this, sitting down, he called the 12 and said, anyone who wants to be first must be the very last and the servant of all. See, some translations, and depending on what your Bible is, it may even say and, and use the word slave. But I think a better word would actually be a, an employee. See, a servant in the first century culture, they often became a servant because they were going to pay off a, a debt. They had borrowed some money, and then basically they would work it off as an employee of the lender who had given them that money. But the amazing part with God is he's just so cool and he thinks of all of these things. He actually had established uh, way back in the Old Testament as part of their culture this thing called Jubilee. And every seven years, every slave or, or employee would be set free and they would be debt free. But God thought of more than just that. He thought, well, I don't want you just to, to treat them like slaves or treat them in, in, a, in, a, in a terrible way for those seven years and just wait until they're set free. So he also put very clear principles into place in terms of how you would treat this servant in your home. You're to treat them well. Treat them like they are part or, or an extension of your family. You see, what often would happen is at the end of that seven years, when the, when the debt was paid off, they had become so connected to the family, they were so connected to the community that often what would happen is that that servant would say, boss, you, you've treated me so well, I, I don't want to leave this family. I give my life to you. It's better for me to stay and be a part of this family than for me to go out by myself. I want to stay. And so they would become a bond servant, a voluntary servant. And they would pierce their ears and basically they would say, you've treated me so well, I give my life to you. So the principle is this, is that serving others, it's a lifetime commitment. I give my life to serving others. Here's what this looks like for us as a church. If you're one of our mission partners, if you say that I believe in the mission and the vision of Hope Community Church, then we need to be a people who commit our time and our gifts and our resources 
to meeting the needs of others. And we will do this until we either die or Jesus comes back. That's how I want my life to be defined. That's how I want our church to be defined. It's a lifetime commitment. Here's the second word. The second word is this. It's, it's a word that it's kind of fun to say. It's huperetes. I don't know if I'm, I think I'm saying it right, but huperetes. And one of the, the word pictures that comes with this is the word picture of an under rower. Paul, when he was quoting Jesus in Acts 26, he said this. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. How many of you have seen the, the movie Ben-Hur? Have you seen Ben-Hur? Uh, I think they did a, a new version like a year or, or two ago. If you haven't seen it, take three days off work and, and just watch it. It's a, it's a long movie. It's, it's pretty good, but it's, it's just a very long movie. But you've seen those movies, right, where there's a, there's a galley underneath a, a ship, right? And, and, and under that galley are a bunch of slaves or a bunch of servants, and they're chained to the oars. There's someone there who's usually beating a drum to a rhythm by which they row. And it's those servants, they are the ones that are producing all of the power for the ship to go forward. But no one knows what their faces look like. No one sees them. There's no glory to this. They are simply and completely anonymous. But they're the ones that are doing all the work. See, here's the principle. It's not about Hope Community Church becoming the most famous or, or the greatest church. It's not about you becoming the most famous. It's not about you being recognized. It's not about what you've done. It's not about how much you've given. It's not about people recognizing the gifts that you have. It's about making Jesus' greatness known in our city. The principle is that we make Jesus famous. It's, it's not about us. So we don't build campuses because we want to be the biggest church. We build campuses because we want to reach as many people as we can so that the greatness of Jesus is known. We don't have local hope and, and global hope that's meeting countless, countless needs around the world simply so that we can feel good about ourselves. We do it so that the greatness of Jesus is known around the world. Here's the third word. Third one is this. It's the word diakonos. And, and this is where we get our word deacon from. Now, this word, I, I think, has been lost in translation a little bit. In most churches, a, a deacon is probably very different than the biblical definition of, of, of a deacon. In my church growing up, the deacons were the ones that were hanging out behind the church smoking cigarettes. Any, anyone ever, ever been there? Some of you went to my church, right? I, we didn't even know each other. In Matthew 20, 26, we read it. It says, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. That just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, I, I think one of the best word pictures for this word is, is that of a, of a waiter, it's a, of an attendant in, in a restaurant. How many of you have ever waited tables before? See, you're the good tippers, right? If your hand's up, I know that you're a good tipper. If your hand isn't up, you're probably not so great of a tipper because if you've been a waiter or a waitress anywhere in a restaurant any time in your life, you feel sorry for waiters and waitresses, right, as a, as a result because you know what that's like. I worked in a Chinese food restaurant for uh, several years in, uh, in high school and, and into college. In fact, Laura got a job there and, and she worked with me on, uh, on weekends when I was in college when I came back home just so we could spend some more time together and, there was this one time where I, uh, I, I leaned over a table and I was placing a glass of, of ice water on the table. I had a, a tray of ice water as well. I was, it was the first glass that I put down to spread around and, and I leaned a little bit too far and the, the tray tipped a little bit and the first glass kind of started to lean over and it fell. 
And it hit the other glasses and they started to fall, right? It was like bowling pins as these, as these glasses started to topple over and then water, ice water like Niagara Falls rolled over the edge of that tray and straight down the back of the little girl that was sitting underneath the tray. It was a good job, but uh, I didn't mind leaving it. Uh, so I, I became a pastor, right? It's kind of the same skill set, and that's just kind of just what happened afterwards. But, but you know what the job is of a waiter. The job of a waiter is to put the needs of someone else before your own. It's to put the attention and the focus on your tables, on those people that you are serving. And so if they need water, you get them water. If they need a fork, you get them a fork. You make sure they get their meal. If they need a side of ranch, you take care of them. You don't think about yourself. You don't think about your needs. You're focused on the needs of others. See, the principle of this is that, is that we are focused on the needs of other people. What do we do with that? When we see a need, we simply meet it. When we find someone who's hurting, we we help heal in any way that we can. We recognize and, and be attentive to the needs of people around us. The questions that we ask are, what do you need? How can I help you? Because right? this is what it means to, to live the life of a servant. The life of a servant is that, that we understand that it's a, it's a lifetime commitment. We understand that, that the purpose of it is to make the greatness of Jesus known. And we recognize that when we do it, we are focused on the needs of others, not our own. Serving others is greater than being served. It's the goal of your life, the goal of this church. It's not to be consumers. It's not for us to show up on a weekend and, and for people to meet our needs, to take care of our kids, to do the things that, that serve me, to go serve in the community while I do other things. That's not what it means to be the church. And that's not what it means to live a great life. Jesus clearly defines that if we want to be great, then his definition is that we meet the needs of others, that we commit together as a church to living this kind of of lifestyle. And so what does this greater life look like? Let me give you three things, three decisions that you need to make as a, as a person who's living this out. The first is that service is greater than status. So there's no one that's exempt from this. A few weeks ago, I was over at our Morrisville campus, and uh, one of the, the toilets in the, in the men's bathroom overflowed between services. And uh, the first two that were in there to clean it up was Doug Stride, our, our campus pastor at Morrisville, and, and Micah McDonald, our area pastor at Morrisville. I mean, these guys are, are pretty big deals, right? And yet they were the first two that were in there cleaning up this mess that was happening in the bathroom. I was so proud of them as I, as I stood next to them supervising um, what was happening <laughs> until someone handed me a mop so that I could jump in and, and help them, right? I don't care how much money you make. I don't care what your title is. I, I don't care if you serve others for a living. You serve because no one is exempt from it. We serve because that's how Jesus defined greatness. This even includes our pastor. Uh, Last summer, Laura and I had the advantage. Mike and Laura were so incredibly generous. It was our 20th anniversary, and they invited us to, um, to spend our anniversary with them in Hawaii. And so we were hanging with them, and and one night we were on our way to a a luau, and as we were walking through uh, the lobby of this hotel to where the luau was, uh, Mike was standing next to me, and we were talking, and next thing I know, he was gone, and I stopped, and I looked, and and he was actually over to the side, and he was talking to one of the guys that was working there at the hotel, and and he took the vacuum from him and began to vacuum. In fact, we have a, a picture of it. 
And that was Mike, right? And he's literally standing there and he's vacuuming the carpet in the lobby of this hotel while he's on vacation. If you look at it just for a second, can we just put it back up? Sorry, just for one quick second. I'm not sure what's happening. I think that the guy there, he was so uncomfortable that he's either just still trying to help and, and so he's holding the cord or he's teaching Mike how to vacuum. I'm not sure. I don't think it's the second one though. I love my job and, and I want to keep it. And so I'm pretty sure he was just not sure what to do with it. See, the first decision that we always have to make is that we decide that service is greater than status. What does this do for us? What it does is it actually removes selfishness from our lives because there's a natural gravitational pull for us to be selfish. But Jesus came along and he said, guys, there's a different standard. We're gonna live differently in my kingdom. Philippians 2 says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. See, the best thing that we can do is refocus our lives to value everybody above ourselves. If we all did this, things like Charlottesville, those things don't happen when we recognize and when we value people the way God values people. And we put the needs of others before the needs of ourselves. See, it's not a self-esteem thing. It's not about thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Second is this, is that character is greater than comfort. See, God is determined to grow us up. And it's not easy. Character development is not an easy thing. In fact, it's a very difficult and sometimes a painful thing. I've met with people for counseling, and, and as we're meeting, I, they try, they fight to justify their sin. They try to, to justify the bad decisions they've made in their lives by saying, God just wants me to be happy. No, he doesn't. It's not that God doesn't want you to be happy, but God's not as concerned about your happiness as he is your holiness. If I were to ask Ty, dude, what, what would make you happy? I can guarantee in, in just two weeks, right, it's going to be, Dad, if you just let me sleep in and, and skip school, right, that would, make me, that would make me happy. Oh, of course, son, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you do those things? No, no, get your rear out of bed, right? I want you to make your bed. I want you to get to school. I want you to be on time, and I want you to get straight A's, right? Because I am more concerned with your, com with your character than I am with your comfort. I know it sounds obvious, but the reality is, is most of us don't live this way. We pursue comfort but God wants to develop our character. Luke chapter 10, there's a, in the message, there's a story that Jesus tells, and, and, and it says this, that there was once a man traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and on the way he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off, leaving him half dead. Luckily, a priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled across to the other side. Then a Levite, religious man, showed up, but he also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. And when he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. And then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I will pay it when I come back. What do you think, Jesus said? Which of these three became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers? The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. And Jesus said, then start serving in Kid City next weekend. <laughs> no, he didn't. He didn't. But he said, go, go and do the same. 
I read Dr. King's response to this message. He, he said this, the priest and the Levite, they asked the wrong question. See, what they asked is, if I stop to help this man, then what will happen to me? That's an attitude that we just can't afford to have because even if you ask that question and even if you answer it correctly, it won't be the right answer. Instead, the question that we need to ask, the right question is, if I don't stop to help this man, then what will happen to him? See, we can't sit in any of our campuses right now and, and just not know that within 10 minutes, in any direction of any of them, that there are people with tremendous needs. At the Raleigh campus, just half a mile up the street is a hotel that's been known to have links to the sex trafficking industry. So we can't close our eyes and drive by those needs. We can't say amen and then go out for, for dinner or for lunch and drive past people who have needs in their lives. We have to do something about it. And it starts by us seeing those needs. When I was in student ministry years ago, we used to take students on mission trips to, to Mexico. And I remember the very first time that, uh, that I took students to Mexico, we had some of them in the back. Some had been before, some hadn't, and I had never been. And so we were driving uh, down through uh, California and past San Diego. And so I knew we were close, and I was expecting a big sign, welcome to Mexico, right? And so that I would know. And so they kept asking, Donnie, are we there yet? Are we there yet? And I said, I, I don't think we're there. Oh, yeah, we're there. We're there. Right, all of a sudden, it just changed, right? We kind of passed through this little gate, and next thing we knew, like, you could just tell that we were, we were in Mexico. You could see a difference. We've taken students to Mexico and to India and to Argentina. And I've watched families, entire families, rummage through a, a garbage dump looking for food for that day. You see those things, and you can't come back the same. The needs are all around us. What we want, what Jesus wants, is that we give up our comfort and we choose the character of God over that. Here's the last one, is that helping one is greater than helping no one. See, too often I fall into the trap of, of thinking that I, I just can't fix this problem. I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time, I, I don't have enough talent to help everyone. I, I can't solve the entire problem. And because of that, sometimes I'm, I'm tempted not to try. I quit before I even start. I do nothing. I love this quote by Andy Stanley. He said, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So you can't fix homelessness by yourself. You can't end poverty by yourself. You can't stop slavery by yourself. You can't end fighting and you can't end wars. But you can make a difference in one person's life. You could feed someone this week. You could provide shelter for a few days for someone. You could give a couple of hours this week to that ministry that you know needs some people to serve in. You could impact one family, and it's a start, and it matters because it can make a difference. So don't be paralyzed by the entire need. Just simply do what you can. Respond with what you have to the need that's in front of you to the best of your abilities. And if we all were willing to take this approach, if this is the kind of church that we are, and we're going to not only make a dent in the, in the we're going to change the triangle, and we're going to make a dent in the world. James 2.16 says this, If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, then what good is that? So you, need, you never need to pray about whether Jesus wants you to help other people. The answer is always, always going to be yes. Serving others is always greater than being served. Here's how I want to finish 
today. I know we don't normally uh, do something like this, but I, I want us to make a, a confession together. And all the former Catholics, you're like, I'm all in, right? I know what to do with this. It's not that kind of confession, a different confession. But when we were at Saddleback, we would do this every once in a while. And so I, I adapted something from that. And, and, and here's what it is. Just simply, I, I want us, if you believe what, what we've kind of talked about today, if you believe that, that this is true, then I want you to read this out loud with me at every campus, wherever you are. And, and I, I just want us to read this, this commitment together. Are you ready? Here we go. Because God has called me to serve my generation, I believe service is greater than status, that character is greater than comfort, giving is greater than getting, and helping one is greater than helping no one. To my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, I say, however, whenever, wherever, and whatever you ask me to do, my answer in advance is yes. Wherever you lead and whatever the cost, I'm ready anytime, anywhere. I want to be used by you in such a way that on that final day, I hear you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in and let the eternal party begin. Let's pray. Father, I just want to thank you that in my moment of greatest need, you ran to me and saved me. And I'm so grateful. Some of us, we resisted you for a long time. Some of us, maybe even right now, we, we're trying to, to lock the door and, and drive away. But for some of us today, we recognize that maybe for the very first time that we need you that we need your help and that we want a relationship with a God that loves us, a God that cares for us. Jesus, we thank you that you didn't come to be served, but you came to serve. And in doing so, you gave your life in ransom for ours. And maybe for some of us here today, just in the quiet of our heart, maybe today is the day that we say, Jesus, I, I want to start a relationship with you. So God, I, Jesus, I trust you. I thank you for dying on that cross for me. But I thank you that you didn't stay dead, that you rose again, and through your resurrection, that I can experience new life, that I can be forgiven of my sins, and that I can allow you to lead and guide in my life, that I will follow you for the rest of it. Jesus, we thank you for your teaching on what it means to be great. You didn't just say words, but you modeled it for us. We thank you so much that you became human, that, that you took the, the beating that you did for us, that you went to that cross, and that through your resurrection, we can be saved. Thank you for that incredible love. God, the greatest way that I believe I can show you how much I love you, my appreciation to you is by loving others the way that you love them. And so God, will you help me to do that this week? Will you help us as a church to do that this week? Help us to be known, not for Hope Community Church, not for us as individuals, but help us to be known as a place that loves people where they are so that Jesus, your greatness is known around the world. We thank you and we love you. And it's in your name we pray, amen.